0: Welcome to the Data Dive Podcast, a podcast where we share the stories of real-world data-driven applications in various industries, hear how some of the most innovative companies are being built, and much more. Today, I'm excited to welcome on Antonio Ivanovski to the podcast. Antonio began his data science career at UPS before heading to Verizon to be an AI product manager. He now works as a senior data analyst at Google. Antonio also runs a YouTube channel and website, AI with AI, and is the author of The AI Journey. Welcome on to the Die podcast, Antonio. I'm glad to have you on.
1: Thank you, Abraham. Great to be here.
0: Around what time did you start getting interested in data science and what prompted you to pursue that as your career path?
1: Sure. Yeah, so... I was probably about a sophomore in college, went in as undecided, undeclared, right? It's kind of good at math, good at like history stuff, but I had no idea what I wanted to do, right? Sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I'll be a math teacher. But then I saw like, maybe that's not that for me when I tried out some of those classes. So I was very just going with the flow, trying out different things. I ended up switching like three majors within like, 3 weeks because I just kept switching things that I wanted to do. And one day I was taking a technology in business class. So it was a general class to learn about like different business skills. And we had this SQL assignment or at the time I had no idea what it was. I had to go on a overseas trip to Macedonia where I'm from in the middle of the semester for like a week or so. So I come back from there And uh, the professor calls me into his office and he's like, hey, who'd you copy from? (laughs) I was like, what is this guy talking about? So I'm like, no one. I'm like, why why do you think that I copied? He's like, well, you skipped our class. You didn't show up to two of our lectures. And not only are you like one of two people who got an A on the assignment, you're the only one who got 100. I'm like, well... If I got in a hundred and nobody else did, I probably didn't copy anyone. You know, uh, I'm like, while I was there, I kind of Googled some things here and there and, and solved the problem. And I'm like, it didn't seem too difficult. And he goes, what major are you? And I just look at it and I'm like sports events and tourism marketing. And I'm going to work at Disney uh, next semester because that's where I'm going to learn my, like my events management and stuff. He's like, what are you going to be doing at Disney? And I was actually picked to work at a cafe, and uh, he just looked at me a little funny, like, "What is why? Why is he going there to work for like minimum minimum wage, and not focusing on his classes?" <laughs> so he said, he sat me down actually, and opens up Indeed.com, and he's like, "Do you know what data analytics is?" I'm like, "No clue." He types in data analytics, and on the bottom, on uh, there's a filter about the salaries. And like the lowest salary, was like 65000 or something. And at that time, me, I was working, you know, like pizza delivery, valet parking, things like that. And uh, when I saw 65000 I was like, holy. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe I'll, I'll try this analytics thing, a shot, you know, because he thought I was good. And I said, do you promise me if I switch to analytics and... I I do what you tell me that you're going to help me out, get a job afterwards. And he was like, well, you know, I don't know. There's a department and you can go through that. I was like, no, do you personally promise me that you're going to help me get a job when I walk out of college? And he just looked at me like, all right, this guy's this guy's crazy. So he shook my hand. He said, deal, like, let's do this. So that kind of got me into into analytics. And uh, I haven't looked back since.
0: Yeah, so it looks like your professor had really fervent belief that you could uh, really succeed in data science.
1: He did. Yeah, he was amazing. And um, even afterwards, when I was interviewing for companies, I remember getting one technical interview with a startup and it was like a take home assignment. And I look at it, I had no idea what to do. It was a Saturday afternoon. um, And I just emailed him I'm like, Professor, I'm like, I have no clue what I'm doing and I need this done like by like Monday. And he just gives me his address. He's like, meet me there in two hours. And he sat down with me that Saturday like evening and he helped me like get through it. So it was kind of that dedication outside of work. Like he's literally like his wife and his little baby uh, are like next to him. And he's like helping me with my assignment. So I'm very thankful to Professor Mamunov or Professor M as I call him for for like helping me get started.
0: Uh, that's amazing. So tell me about some of the skills that you developed in college, whether that be in undergraduate or graduate school that have helped you as a data analyst.
1: Yeah, so a lot of this, the work we did during school was a data, uh, like a machine learning project, let's say, from end to end. And the skill that was the biggest, which I hated while I was in college, by the way, was developing a question around what you're solving. And by that, I mean, is like, don't just take a data set and just go on, like download a data set from Kaggle and do a machine learning project. And you like build a model, let's say like hundred percent accuracy and just move on to the next thing. But what you need to do I mean, you don't have to, but what I suggest you do is develop a scenario. So pretend that you're, let's say a consultant and give me, give me a data set. What's one of the, like the the data sets that are like people get started with like the Titanic data set or something, or yeah, let's say the Titanic data set, right? The way I approached every single project was I'm a consultant and I'm working for A company and they they hire me to predict who's going to survive the titanic so what what is the purpose that you are going to get out of this model well maybe you can say with my model i was able to predict where are the people like in which rooms are the people going to survive so maybe in those rooms you will put like women and children because that was kind of what was prioritized so we're gonna talk about a project and you're going to hear why I did the project. So when I was working on a thing in college and the project was predicting prices for Airbnb rooms, right? So I downloaded the data set from Kaggle, but I didn't just go and build like the machine learning model behind it and just call it a day, move on to the next project. I formulated a question or an objective I am the consultant. I work for Airbnb, and I want to help hosts who have rooms on Airbnb maximize their value of their rooms. So by building my project, I was able to find that if you have like a business workstation where people can put their laptops, they can put their like it's connected to Wi-Fi, it drove highest higher revenue. So I was able to talk about that in my project. So I said, After building my machine learning project, I reached out to Airbnb hosts and I told them to include, if they include a workstation, which costs $200, they're able to drive the price of their Airbnb by $10,000 annually or something like that. So always think about how your project is going to be used because in school, it's very easy to just, you know, like they give you something for homework, you create it and you just move on to the next thing. But you have to think about the bigger picture of how are you going to help somebody with your machine learning, right? Because if you just do machine learning for the heck of it, and you're not solving any real problem, then even that problem is like hypothetical in your scenario, because you're still in school, you still have to like, kind of get into that mindset.
0: Yeah, so that's actually really interesting that you actually reached out to those companies. So did they ever respond to you or give you feedback on what you said?
1: Yeah. I wasn't actually like reaching out to them, like actually talking to anybody from Airbnb, but it was more of like, I would develop a actual documentation scenario in my, on my work. So before I submitted the assignment, I would have that. And the reason why I would have that is when I, when you go talk eventually to companies and you're interviewing something, you have things to talk about because you're fresh out of college, you go interview for a job. And they ask you, "What work experience do you have?" And you say, "I, I predicted like Airbnb rooms and for an assignment, right? And they're like, well, you haven't actually done real work, but then you start what what I was doing when I was interviewing is uh, what what work have you done?" Well, I was working on a project. I was able to find that Airbnb hosts can be more successful if they implement X, y, and Z, and that was able to increase their annual return by like 10000 or $20,000. So I was always acting confident as if I did actually those things. So it's a little bit of that kind of, you know, you have to be confident when you're interviewing and you are hyping yourself up, but that's what an interview is. You have a brand and you have to talk about yourself. Like you belong there, right? That was like one of the things my professor Mamanov always told me. I had like parking attendant on my resume and he told me just erase that. I'm like, well, but that's the only work I've done. He said, put the projects that you have done that's analytics related because somebody is going to hire you because of the analytics work you're doing, not because you've parked cars for for a living. Nothing wrong with that, but it just has nothing to do with the data side of things. So it's better to, to talk about like actual projects that you have done, which a lot of people shy away from because they're like, oh, I haven't done any work. So I have nothing to talk about. You actually do everything that you work in school it's actually a topic you should be discussing when you start interviewing.
0: So really going above and beyond in your projects and analyzing how your work could actually help a company uh, really paid off when it came to your interviews. Right. So what was the biggest adjustment from doing CS or you know, data analytics related projects in college to actually working on ser- solving real world problems at companies? And when you look back, do you feel like there's anything you could have done differently to allow you to be more successful as a data analyst today?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think I'll take that question with kind of like um, one technical and kind of one non-technical skill. From a technical standpoint, from a data science standpoint, it's very interesting that the best model is not always the goal when you're in the real world. Meaning You go to a company, right? Or like in school first, you build a model and you try to get as much like accuracy or recall or precision, whatever your goal is. And the better you make it, that's great. But once you get to the real world, if you have a, you build a model initially and it's let's say eighty percent accurate, and then you say you tell the company, well, if I I have also another model that's ninety percent accurate. It doesn't mean that the 90% accurate model is going to get implemented because there's so many things that go on in the real world. What if the model that's 90% accurate, it's a lot slower. It takes a lot of longer time to make the predictions or the data engineers can't put it into production as easily because a lot of things in the real world, you need an answer in a millisecond, right? You open a website, let's say you go to like ESPN.com or something, and there's like personalized ads in the background. Those models that are in the background, suggesting to you what you should be watching, they're made like the decisions are made like this. So they cannot wait on you like ten minutes. Like, oh, let me just run this and tell you what what you should show because the person is just gonna exit the the site by then, you know. So in the real world, it's it's very different. That you're not just maximizing like accuracy and things like that, but you're actually maximizing more of like speed and how uh, like. Uh, how fast you can implement that and how long it's going to take to implement it, right? Because maybe you say I can improve the accuracy by 5% if I work on it in the next year and they'll be like, no, thanks. We're, we're good with what we have right now, right? We don't want you spending that much time. And then the second thing is, which is very hard. And I've been thinking how you can practice this more in school is communication with stakeholders. And I think we'll, Definitely be talking a lot about communication because that's kind of like an area I, I focus on because it's so important. But you are usually working with a lot of different stakeholders, right? At school, you you read the problem and you kind of try to solve it. In the real world, you're talking to different people, and this person thinks this way it should be built. Another person thinks it should be built that way. A third person doesn't agree or and thinks it shouldn't be built anything, you know? So you spent a lot of time in the real world, more communicating with people and doing things like that, rather than actually just building models, I will probably say like, my work has been like, 60% has been just communication. And the other 40 has been like, actually building (laughs) building stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, my dad always told me being able to communicate well is super important. Like being knowledgeable and being able to critically think those are also really important. But Being able to communicate effectively is really what sets you apart.
1: 100%. And I think because especially the data science field is changing so fast, right? Everybody asks me, like, what skills should I learn? Should I learn Python or R or a new language can come out tomorrow and Python and R are not going to be relevant anymore. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you never know. But communication is always going to be that one thing. If you're good at it, you can, always, you can always fall back because there's never going to be a day where we're like, all right, you don't need to communicate anymore. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So talk a little bit about your decision deciding between working at a Fortune 50 company versus a startup that you were interested in working at potentially too.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I think this one was very interesting because, again, I'm going to keep talking about my professor. Professor M, because he has such a big influence at where I am today. And he said, I said, what advice can you give me? He said, look for a Fortune, like, I think he actually said Fortune 500 company. He didn't even say Fortune 50. So when I found UPS and UPS was 46th on the list, I'm like, how does Fortune 50 sound? You know, so (laughs) I was kind of like showing off. But I kind of asked him, why should I look for that Fortune 500 company? And he said, because again, it's about that brand you work, especially like in the US, right? I work for UPS. I can go down the street afterwards when I went to interview, for example, for Verizon. Unfortunately, a lot of people, it's about like prestige, right? Like why do people try to go to well-known schools? Because so you can show it on your resume. Same thing with companies. You want to go to a company that's known so that you can show it on your resume. So when I walk into the Verizon and they say, oh, what have you done? Well, I work data science at UPS. So immediately people know or they don't have exactly know what I did, but they kind of know something around logistics and something like those kinds of analytics. So they're able to connect to that. Versus if I went to work for a startup and you're working for the startup down the street, and there's like, I don't know, let's say 10, 20 people there, even a hundred. And you you go to Verizon and you said, you can do the same exact work you're doing at UPS, but you say, I worked at this AI analytics company down the street. They're like, who's, what's that? You know, like, it just, it doesn't have that name. Uh, is it the right way? I don't know. Yeah, you can decide that for yourself, but it's with so many candidates applying, uh, companies need a, a way to kind of like pick out which candidates, right? You can only hire one person and maybe there's like a hundred that apply. So, kind of having that known company kind of makes you look good initially. Afterwards, you can go to a startup and be like, "Hey, I worked at UPS. I worked at Verizon. Uh, they're gonna know where your what your background is." And then the second reason is that I didn't want to be the the go to person at first. When I interviewed for the startup, they're like, "Hey, you're gonna be our SQL guy, and everything's gonna go through you." And I'm like, I learned SQL like three weeks ago. So I don't know if I want to be the main. you know, at UPS, it was like, hey, there's 10 people. You're like the 11th person. Take your time. Learn as much as you can, because if I mess up at UPS, nothing's going to happen to the company. It's a billion dollar company. You know, it's going to have very small effect to what I can do. Whereas if at the startup, I just got that feel that if I'm running behind on my SQL, like everybody's going to be waiting on me because that was just kind of like that feel and that's not necessarily the worst thing because right if you are the person and you actually you're actually forced to learn very quickly and if you show yourself great you might like accelerate or if your startup does ends up being exceptionally like billion dollar startup you know you could be very wealthy so i don't want to discourage anybody from from doing that But for me, it was kind of like, I had gotten engaged, I was still going, I was still going to school, I love my work life balance. And so I was like, I'm happy taking a step back and just watching what everybody else is doing and just taking my time with it.
0: Yeah, so you feel like having less pressure on you initially really helped you grow. And being kind of the guy from the get go would not have, you know, allowed you to grow this much.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. Because a lot of the people who mentored me, and I was lucky, you have to have people who are above you, you can definitely go, you can go to a fortune 50 company. And if there's nobody there to mentor you, you're kind of on your own, you can be in the same environment. You have to make sure you ask questions, kind of like, who am I going to be working with if you're interviewing, and just really learn about the people. So that's very important because I don't want to make it seem like, oh, every Fortune 50 company is going to have a lot of people you can learn from because that's not the case. So make sure you like do your due diligence. But that was very important to me was having my manager at UPS, like he's now at Microsoft and he's like one of the best coders I've ever met in my life. So I was like, you know, taught me a lot of tricks and I had that room to fail. I messed up so many sequels. Once this was actually like one year into my career at Verizon, so not even at UPS, I ended up deleting a whole table because I forgot like a where clause. And at Verizon, they like they just reversed it because there was other people who can help me. I imagine if I did that at like some startup and just deleted the whole like table, the whole database, I, I don't I don't know what I would have done. <laughs>
0: How did you stay optimistic during the interview process to become a data analyst for like the different companies you applied to work for? And do you think there's anything in particular that you did that allowed you to be successful during your interviews?
1: I think it's tough when you're applying on Indeed, LinkedIn, and you are just not hearing a callback, right? they are not like it's one thing if you interview you don't get the job, but to me it was worse when and like I wasn't even getting an answer. Like, oh, am I that bad? <laughs> but uh, one thing I realized, I ended up getting like LinkedIn Premium, and it shows you insights into who you're competing against. And I was competing as like entry level. I was competing as people with a master's degrees. I barely had my bachelor's, you know. So it was kind of, it wasn't, I noticed that Indeed wasn't working. LinkedIn wasn't, wasn't working for me. So what I tried a different approach, and this is kind of answers that second part of your question on what allowed me to be successful is networking. I tell everybody, make a LinkedIn profile. If you don't have one, like right away, do that and start posting on there. If you do a project in school, post it on LinkedIn and talk about what we mentioned before. Hey, I worked on this project. This is what value you can bring. What do you think? Ask a question, connect with people and you show them your work, make a GitHub, put it on your resume and start kind of like making connections because it's a lot easier to get into a company when there's somebody internal working there who can either refer you to a manager, say, hey, Uh, I know I know Abraham. He's done great work on LinkedIn. I've seen his projects. I know what he can do. Like, let's let's like give him a chance. And that way you skip that whole indeed people that you're competing against 100, 200, 300 people. I don't even know how many people apply, but I know it's a lot. So that kind of enabled me to once I started actually posting on LinkedIn, posting my projects, I will just I will do like a Tableau dashboard. Posted on LinkedIn and talk about it and got a lot of engagement, got a lot of people reaching out to me, made a lot of friends that have gotten me jobs to, to this day. I still like a lot of the work that I like, the connections I make is because of that. Um, so that will definitely be my number one tip. Before
0: joining Google, you worked as an
1: AI product
0: manager at Verizon. This means that you had to work cross-functionally to create and then deliver AI-driven products to market. What did you learn through your role and what skills did data scientists have that helped make your job as a product manager easier?
1: So uh, yeah, I worked with a lot of data scientists, worked with a lot of data data engineers, data architects. And the the one skill again is is going to be communication. People who... Uh, document well really make a uh, life easier and better because when you're working on big big projects it's it's really easy to lose things when you're because this person says this at this meeting another person mentioned something else so being able to document things is something that is a skill that you are going to be very thankful that you have it for I think for a, a few reasons One is just your projects are going to become more successful and you are going to to communicate with people better and you're going to make sure that your work doesn't kind of, that you're on the same page. If nothing is documented and you're just talking about things, people can hear different things. There could be misunderstandings and just projects are a, a lot less likely to succeed. If things are just not well, well documented. Another thing is once you start working at a company, you have like mid-year, you have final year reviews. You can actually, if you have things documented, you can actually show the things that you worked on and why you worked on them and what was the result. One of my high school friends, he was, he's like a couple of years ahead of me, uh, even before I started working on stuff. He told me, he's like, when the day one, when you started a job, start like a word document or something and write down the things that you're accomplishing like oh today i you know at the beginning it's gonna be like oh i wrote like 10 sql queries and that uh, solved this problem you know or even if things are simple you're still learning but eventually like oh i build a machine learning model that added like two million dollars in value to the company or things like that and having that documentation is just going to help you tremendously in your career otherwise because when it comes time for promotion or it comes down for these reviews you actually have everything to show so that's kind of from that uh personal like kind of like selfish perspective i guess that's going to help you as a data scientist but also from a like working with the different teams like i said having things well documented is going to everybody's going to be thanking you for because it's very tedious right and i'm still learning how to do that better for myself Because I always kept things like in in my head. And a lot of times things would get lost in translation. But so I'm still working on that skill myself as well. But the earlier you start, the better it's going to be.
0: What motivated you to leave your role as a manager at Verizon to work at Google as a senior data analyst?
1: Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing, and we're all going to be honest here, is always money, right? Uh, a lot of people tell you, oh, money doesn't matter. It's not that, you know, but money matters. We know oh, you were in your 20s. You're trying to make a living. You're like, I have a wife and a baby now. He's two months old. That's what we're here for, right? If I'm not working, like, for <laughs> not here to work for free, right? If I didn't have to make money, I'd probably be, like, playing Call of Duty or something right now, other than talking with you. But... <laughs> the the other thing why i kind of went from product manager to going to senior analyst at google is because i noticed that if you're a product manager and you're not you're working with good data analysts your project is going to be in a lot of in a lot of trouble and what i mean by that when you're that product owner, you're trying to develop some kind of like, let's say an AI or machine learning, I would go into another department and when people, I don't don't know too much about, let's say marketing, for example, you're the AI person, you're working with the business, they're the marketing people and they have data analysts on their team. You are from outside. You don't know anything about marketing. You might know basics, right? But you don't know the ins and outs of marketing. You don't know why things work the way they do. And what is going to help that product be more successful is finding that domain expert data analyst who knows everything about the data. And why do data analysts know everything about the data? Because you are the person who's cleaning it up, you're manipulating it, you're twisting it from different angles and trying to find different conclusions, right? So this is not even talking about machine learning, you're just like visualizing the data, let's say making reporting. So when I came in as a product manager, that was always the first thing I I looked at was find me a data analyst who knows everything about the data and let me talk to them because they're going to help me tremendously succeed in my project. So how does that relate to why I took like a senior analyst role at Google is because I wanted to go on that other side of things and kind of like, all right. And work now, I actually work with other product managers. And come having kind of seen both sides of the story, I can properly relate because when I was I was an actual analyst, I always I didn't like that work. Oh, data cleaning sucks. You know, I don't want to do this. Just give me machine learning or let me build some cool stuff. And I skipped through that stage. I didn't time to properly build out those skills which is tremendous skills that you need. Because now when I, I went from the other side, I'm like, wait, if your data analysts are bad, your company is just going to struggle. Even though data analysts, unfortunately, we're like you're low on the job ladder initially. Like if you're like an entry-level data analyst, the value you bring to the company sometimes might be underappreciated, but it is so, so, so big. And that was why I'm like, okay, I need to take a step back and like really find what makes a great data analyst so that was kind of why i i went back to to that role and why google i mean it's i was to me it was like where can i go that is going to see what the leading company in the industry is and google just happened to reach out so that was that also worked out great (laughs) That wraps
0: up part one of the Data Dive podcast with Antonio Ivanovsky. Stay tuned for part two, where Abraham and Antonio discuss Antonio's book, The AI Journey, how some of his early work experiences as a data analyst shaped his perspective, and some of the most valuable skills a data scientist can develop.